Hey, this is Zach from Citizens and Saints. Our new album, Amir Dimly, is out, and we cannot wait to play these songs for you live. We'll be traveling with our friends King's Kaleidoscope, who also just put out a new record, Beyond Control, along with special guests, the Sing Team, for the Live Love Tour. Starting October 14th, we'll be in Des Moines, Iowa, and then traveling through the Midwestern parts of the states, we'll end on October 19th in Columbus, Ohio. For more details or to get your tickets today, go to livelovedtour.com. Nothing grows as planned Everything will break It's the greatest love story, not only that ever has been told, but that ever could be told. Because you couldn't tell a love story where a beloved sacrificed more for a lover who could have deserved it less, you know? And he does it for every single human being, and Jesus prays for their forgiveness with his last breath. How on earth can you reconcile that with a God who keeps people in existence for the sheer purpose of suffering? And all that you can fake Well, leave you in the morning But find you in the day The Deconstructionist Podcast is produced by Nicholas Rowe at the National Audio Preservation Society Recording Studio in Newark, Ohio. Follow us on social media at www.thedeconstructionist.com, on Facebook at Deconstructionist Podcast, Twitter at Deconstructcast, and Instagram at Deconstructionist Podcast. If listening to this podcast has benefited you in any way, consider making a donation. The donate link is in the show notes, or you can visit our website and click the donate tab. Nothing stays the same. Nobody here is perfect. Oh, but everyone. Welcome back to Hell, everybody, on the Deconstructionist Podcast. We are your hosts. I am Adam Narlock. And I am John Williamson. We have a special returning guest to blow our minds about hell a little bit more this month. It was so good. Oh, man. So good. Who do we got here, John? Who's coming back? Who's the celebrity guest today? This is the triumphant return of Dr. Greg Boyd, and he is going to present, uh, we kind of focus more on, so like last week, we talked to Dr. Sharon Baker slash put, whichever one you prefer, depending on if you're looking for her books or not. <laughs> who, was, who was lovely. Who was awesome. And so, so she focused more on Christian universalism, uh, which is one of the theories floating around out there that is an alternative to uh, conscious eternal torment. So this week... <laughs> 
We had uh, Dr. Greg Boyd. The way you say it, it doesn't sound so bad. I know. (laughs) Can you imagine if I had a British accent? It would sound even better, right? Oh, and everybody needs to know that we have a, on this intro and outro, we have a studio audience of one right now. The mysterious, (laughs) the the illustrious, the talented (laughs) producer of our podcast, Nicholas Rowe. I wish wish Nick. Say hey, Nick. Say hey, Nick. Hey. (laughs) See, pretend pretend like you're behind a board and we're in a studio, you know? (laughs) <laughs> yeah nick makes us sound way more professional than we could ever hope to be <laughs> nick on the ones and twos <laughs> so if you don't think we sound professional <laughs> blame nick <laughs> blame nick and we will hang our heads low oh but uh yeah so nick is here listening to us try to be professional and, and uh try to pretend like we know what we're doing so but this week uh this was awesome i really enjoyed this one um Partly because I, I just really I really like this particular theory, uh, anni- annihilationism. Even though he's he uses the term, but he doesn't like he doesn't the call term. It that. Yeah, and I like <laughs> his reason for not using that particular term, but Which he will get into for sake of Google searches. Uh, yes, <laughs> we will refer to it as annihilationism. But um, really interesting. I think I, I think his. Uh, um, his argument is uh, is is really interesting, really good, and as always, he's just he's just really fun to talk to. Oh my gosh, lively, engaging, energetic. I mean, just just a lot of fun. And you know, when you're talking about eternal conscious torment, that helps. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it really, really, he really is a great guy. And I mean, we're talking about if you haven't um, been a listener for a long time, he was on our show a while back, and he is just. Uh, outstanding PhD from Princeton, senior pastor of Woodland Hills Church up uh, in Minnesota, and he runs an organization called Renew.org that is just a plethora of resources. If you are, if you like to get lots of different perspectives and theologically nerd out about stuff, Greg Boyd mm. is uh, a titan of intellect. He advocates that Christians need to stop the anti-intellectualism out there. He advocates for doubt and the place of doubt. He is a phenomenal pastor. And uh, now, now a good, good friend of the yeah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> if you've been on twice, you're a good, good friend. Good, good friend. <laughs> a close personal friend. That's right. So yeah, he's got, as Adam said, he has a ton of books out. So check out the show notes uh, if you're interested in, in checking out some of the books that he's written. Um, the one that in particular that, that uh, we kind of use for this episode is a book that he wrote called Satan and the Problem of Evil. It's just a quick book. Just a quick read. It's, a, know, it's a little thick. About 500 pages of theological goodness. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we will, as usual, uh, or as we do every once in a while, we'll do a little, uh, we'll do a little uh, tweet, retweet uh, contest, and uh, we have an extra copy of that book, so we'll, we'll give that out. Uh, you know, so keep keep paying attention to, to Twitter. It'll only cost it's like twenty dollars to ship this gar- gargantuan. <laughs> it's like, are you shipping a gold brick? What, Seriously, what's going on here? But. Uh... Yeah, I can't wait for you guys to hear this one. Um, we realize that we're trying to be a little bit tongue-in-cheek and lighthearted because, you know, at the end of the day, this is a conversation that can uh, make things awkward for you at home. It can make things awkward for you at church. It can make things awkward for you uh, when you look in the mirror. I mean, uh, the concept of eternity, the concept of hell, the concept of the character of God and what he will actually do to people that don't do X, Y, or Z is a really big, heavy conversation. And thank you for listening. Thank you for being open-minded. I'd like to say again... Um, just continue that open-minded posture. Try to create safe places for yourself, for others. And again, you don't have to agree with everything somebody says to agree with anything somebody says. So just engage in the conversation. Yeah. 
yeah, I think uh, I think that's all all we need to say really to to roll into this one. Um, I think you guys will really enjoy this, and uh, next week we'll Adam and I will wrap it up um, with an episode with the two of us, uh, just kind of tying together everything from the course of this month. So we hope you've enjoyed some of the the guests we've had in this series with uh, Dr. Richard Beck and then Dr. Uh, Sharon Put and now Dr. Greg Boyd. So let's do this. Here we Let's go. It. Greg freaking Boyd. Oh, you are in my veins and I cannot get you out. No, I cannot get you out. No, I cannot get you Dr. Greg Boyd, you are returning once again to the Deconstructionist Podcast, and we are thrilled to have you here. Thanks for being with us. I am thrilled to be here. <laughs> you guys are great. Oh, man. Thanks. We'll have some fun. I got to tell the radio audience, that, uh, the podcast audience, that, excuse my sexy voice, but uh, <laughs> I, I've got a chest cold, so if I yank one up in the middle of, uh, you know... Oh, I'm talking. Try not to get turned on or anything, okay? Kind of just. I love, love it. it. I love it. That's awesome. Well, it'd be perfect for Halloween month, so you know. Yes. So yeah, really. So, so uh, for for those of our listeners who have been kind of following along, um, obviously we're we're kind of doing a series here. We had uh, Dr. Richard Beck at the the top of the month, uh, kind of talking about uh, different ideas surrounding Satan and the devil. Um, you know, those of you who listened to last week's episode heard uh, Sharon Boyd kind of put forth an alternate view on hell. Maybe Sharon, Sharon Putt. Sharon Putt, Sharon Baker. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, if you're looking for her Whoever. books, it's Sharon Baker. If you're looking, if you're looking for her academia, it's uh, Sharon Putt now. So, either one. Um, so, uh, one of the, the the topics that we want to continue to kind of dive into is obviously there are other alternate uh, theories on hell outside of the traditionalist view. So, um, I was wondering if maybe we could start with. Maybe you kind of discussing a little bit what are what are your issues with kind of what we call the traditionist traditionalist uh, idea of hell of, of eternal conscious suffering. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, yeah. Well, um, the primary issue, I guess, would be that that uh, it, it's really hard to reconcile that with the picture of God that you get see revealed in Jesus Christ, uh, especially Jesus Christ on the cross. Um, this is a God who is his, his very essence as self-sacrificial love poured out for others. Uh, got to praise for his enemies with his last breath. Mm-hmm. You know, he, uh, that's his basic stance towards all who tells us to swear off all violence and to thereby manifest the character of God uh, who loves indiscriminately like the rain falls, like the sun shines. Mm-hmm. And he says, love your enemies that you may be children of your father in heaven. So that's like the criteria. It's it's when we reflect the Father's character that we are we display that we are children of the Father, mm. and that's about not retaliating, not engaging in violence, loving your enemies, and and uh, the idea that that uh, uh, the traditional idea of hell I think runs counter to that. Um, even apart from self-sacrificial love, uh, you, you just have to ask where is the justice in that? I mean, you know, what 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 finite crime could warrant an eternity of suffering? Mm. Uh, and and here, like throughout the Bible, when God judges people, uh, it's always surrounded by mercy. You know, he, he, he will will 
he'll sometimes give us very harsh judgment, you know, but then he'll always come back with the word of redemption. Nevertheless, I will restore you. I'll replenish you. You will return to me. And there's always this hope. But in in the traditional view of hell, there's simply pain for the sake of pain. Mm. God keeps people in existence, not to teach them anything, uh, not not with any hope. It's, It's just sheer pain for the sake of pain. Make them suffer. And the traditional view, suffer exquisitely. Um, uh, you know, just to get even, and it, it, it's hard to even with that kind of punitive, retaliatory view of judgment. It's hard, even if God was the sort of God who was about getting even, which He's not. But even if He was, uh, why would it take an eternity to get even with, uh, you know, finite sins? Even Hitler, um, you know, yeah, it'd be fine to watch him suffer for, you know, a hundred years, maybe <laughs> thousand, but but after a million, you know. The screams of the torment that we get old. It's like, okay, what's the point? You know, it's just, uh, you know, one of the sickest aspects of the church tradition, it comes up with Tertullian, Spons, and Aquinas, and several other places, is they thought, they actually thought that one of the joys of heaven would be watching the torments of uh, those who are dead. What? They actually said that. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. That, that the joy will be, and and I, I can't get in that mindset. But, I can't get that. Um, I can't get there. You know, I, I could see, see, you know, having a satisfaction of justice or maybe for a year or two, but e- eternity, uh, the, the tormented. And so uh, I, the, yeah, the idea that, that goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And just when you thought it was at its end, you know, you haven't even begun. Like hey, Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry right. God is the classic statement. Sure. Of that. I mean, that was, you know, and, he's, and when he preached that, they, the, the accounts say that people actually, Withered on the floor in fear, like it was so terrifying. Because if you think about it, it's unthinkable. It's just, it's, it's just unthinkable. Um, and you wouldn't want, you wouldn't wish that on your worst enemy. No. And we wouldn't. And yet we are infinitely less loving than God. Mm. And 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 God loves His enemies. I mean, if He tells anything, He loves His enemies. So it, it, in my mind, um, I can conceive of God where if holding them in existence would mean they would go on forever in this tormented state. Uh, God, I think, would mercifully just let them go out of existence. He has to actively sustain all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, he sustains all things by his powerful word, Hebrews 1.3. And so uh, the merciful thing, and it's also the just thing. You, you, don't, you don't want life, well, then you don't deserve life. But also, uh, I have to then give you your wish and let you go. Yeah. Mm. I, it says in Proverbs 8 that he who uh, uh, refu- rejects me loves death. Those who reject me love death. And that is... And people love darkness rather than light. God gives them their wish, but that is—it's it, sort of divine euthanasia, in my view. It's—it's—it's, it's, it's, know, precisely so they won't continue to suffer. God mercifully releases them, and they go. And so then, like in Obadiah, it says they will be as though they never had been. Mm. Like, like, or like Psalm seventy-four, there'll be like smoke arising into the night, just vanishes in the night. That's—that's that's what I'm inclined to believe about the final state of things. And that would be what you would call like the classic like annihilationist sort of view yeah i don't like the term annihilation okay. uh, annihilationism because it uh, it, it implies that god has to annihilate them. like you know, <laughs> yeah. he has to raise his razor gun yeah, too, when they blow apart. <laughs> uh, but to uh to punish them god just just withdraws his hand of existence which is is you know that's how god judges uh sin on calvary the father doesn't do anything other than just withdraw. Mm-hmm. And uh, he turns his son over. You have this moment, he he delivered him over to wicked humans uh, and also who are under the influence of wicked powers. 
and and Jesus suffers divine abandonment. Judgment is divine abandonment, mm. and you find that throughout the Old Testament. It, it's, it's his wrath is synonymous with his saying, "I have to leave you to your own devices, and and I'm going to withdraw." And the consequence of that will be that you are going to be attacked by these other you know nations, and uh, you're going to suffer the harmful consequences of your choices. Um, and 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 so I think that that the final judgment is just the ultimate act, God's ultimate act of withdrawal. Wow. So just out of curiosity, what, uh, what about this, this theory, uh, was more appealing to you than, than perhaps, you know, Christian universalism or, or any of the other ones out there? Well, you know, with, with, with universalism, um, I, 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 I always tell people, I hope that's true. Yeah. I, I would love to be wrong <laughs> yeah. on this one. Yeah, you no, know? No. <laughs> uh, well, what, one, two, two things here, at least. Uh, one is that it, it, it doesn't, it, 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 there are passages certainly that you can appeal to to support universalism. Um, but it doesn't strike me as the major way that scripture usually defines the ultimate fate of the wicked. Uh, it's usually described in terms of death, mm-hmm. uh, you know, corruption, uh, you know, is death, um, non-existence. They forfeit the right to life. That, that's, that's the dominant way it speaks. Uh, and so that has to be given, you know, some significant weight. Um, the other thing is that, that, um, I I don't see how you can be really believe if you believe that love has to be chosen as I do, um, I don't know how you could be a, I could say I could be a hopeful universalist, right? but I don't know how I could be a, 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 you know, doctrinal universalist that everybody is going to get in. Cause if I, if you can resist God today, well, then you can resist him tomorrow and you can resist him the next day. And if God's not going to coerce you conceivably, um, you could go on for all eternity. Uh, the other thing is that it, it, there's a motif in Scripture, but it's reflected also in some of the wisdom throughout the ages in a no, number of different circles, and that is that it's not just that we can choose to do the same thing tomorrow, but the longer we choose anything, the easier it is to choose it again. We, 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 t- we start by making our choices, and our choices, if you persist in them, become our habits, mm-hmm. and our habits become our character, and our character becomes our destiny. That's a piece of wisdom that goes back to Heraclitus in the in the sixth uh, century uh, BC. Yeah. Um, and and I think simple observation tells you the, the the truth of that. We 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 tend to become the decisions that we make. Mm. Uh, so we grow to either become <coughs> the process of making loving choices. We become loving beings, who then I think have the highest form of freedom where. Uh, we, we love, we, we, we choose to love, but without the, the temptation to choose otherwise, because now we are it. Now we're godlike. Uh, God loves by nature. Mm. Our goal is to become that nature. Mm. And so that's why I think heaven will be you know, secure. We're solidified in our love. Uh, the, the downside of that, the alternate, the reverse of that is that we can be solidified against God, where we no longer have a capacity to ever choose for him. Um, I don't know, but I, I think I've met a few people who are in that category. There is absolutely no capacity, so far as I could see, to ever have the slightest interest in in you know, submitting their life to, to Christ. Uh, there's no capacity. And so if a person gets to that state, uh, they would be, since God is the source of all that's good, all that's loving, all that's joyful, uh, they'd be in a state of utter misery. And that's where I think God mercifully and justly puts them out of existence or just withdraws existence. But um, uh, it, it, yeah, so, it, and, and there seems to be some teachings of Jesus to that effect, sure. you know, what we're in Luke 16, you know, he tells this parable and it is a parable about Lazarus mm-hmm. who is, is now in Hades 
And uh, uh, he's you know saying, go back and warn my relatives about you know, to to repent and get ready. And Jesus is saying, look, they got enough to go on. And and if they won't repent of this, you know, they're not repenting even if you know someone raises from the dead. And the idea, the motif that you find is is do things now because otherwise it's going to be harder later on. Or when Jesus in Matthew five says, you know, make peace with your brother while you're still on the way. Because otherwise, you'll be thrown into prison, and you won't get out till you pay the last penny. Um, he's, he's saying, you know, make amends now because, you know, later on you'll be more solidified, and it's going to be tougher. Mm. Uh, and and that also, I think, is a passage that indicates that there is going to be there's still work to be done after we die. It's not all just in this lifetime, but there's going to be, you know, I think God continues to refine us, and 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 if we're still unsettled towards Him, to even persuade us. Uh, to follow him uh, in the afterlife, though we're not told hardly anything about that. But, but anyways, uh, th- that's my first problem with universalism. Um, I guess that's both of them. Oh, the, the second one is, I guess I mentioned both. One is the biblical motif. The other one is just the logic of freedom yeah. and, and that uh, it, it can't be coerced. From, from one of the things I've, I've heard, just um, we just did an, uh, an episode with Sharon Putt, and one of the things that she said that uh, struck me as, you know, a good logical argument for the position that she posits is the, the fire or the judgment or, you know, the purification or whatever happens in the afterlife, um, apart from being retributive or punitive, is actually, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> is actually a, a reconciling, is actually a, a, a redemptive, a restorative yeah. Kind of sure, fire, yeah. kind of judgment, kind of quote unquote wrath, whatever you want to call it, and that the these choices that we make that become habits, that become character, that become part of us are as it were burned off. And then right, and right. then all that's left, and this is the part where I to be honest, I can't quite get there myself, but it's nice. And I hope I hope it's true, like you said. But the part of us that's left is is purified to the point that it can't but choose God. Yeah. Well, then, then it has no free will, and you have to just lose that maxim that love requires yeah, choice. Yeah, that's where I. That's uh, kind of what and, I thought and, too. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's really, I, I you know, and I, I know Sharon a little bit, and I respect her, and I'm sympathetic to her position. Absolutely. But uh, um, it, it, it sounds more Platonic than it does Christian to say that at the core of every person, there's this spark of divinity that cannot be extinguished. You know, this pure goodness. And so in that case, all of our, and this is Platonic thinking here, uh, all of our sin is simply misinformation. We're just misguided. And if you could get rid of all the misguidedness, whatever, well, then we'd always choose good. Uh, so there's no real moral evil. Mm. Um, and there's, well, I, I, that's just not a, the, the biblical perspective. In fact, James says the opposite. When we, when we you know, sin in ignorance, it's not really sin. It's when we know to do the right thing and we choose to do otherwise. That's what makes it sin. And so um, uh, I, I don't agree with her just assessment of human nature. Um, I, but I agree with her purification thing. Yeah. You know, I, I do. You know, 1 Corinthians 3 talks about how in the judgment seat of Christ, um, I, I think we enter into the presence of God's undiluted love, which is the kind of fire. And it does refine. Yeah, Paul says everything will be tried by fire, uh, wood or gold, silver. Than wood, hay, and stubble, and and with gold and silver it purifies it, but fire burns up wood, hay, and stubble, mm-hmm. and so I do think it, it, we will take a sort of 
divine shower before we enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> uh, however, whatever kind of process that might look like, it might be 40 seconds for some and 400 years for others. You know, I, I, at that point, we won't have a shared medium, so there won't be any kind of coordinated time. But um, uh, it, it will burn away everything in us that's inconsistent with that love, and it will purify everything that is consistent with that love. My worry is that it could be the case that people who have gone down, who keep on cho- choosing to resist God, get to the point where there's nothing redeemable. Mm, yeah. And so there's only, they're only burned up. There is no, you know, that inner spark that, that, that Sharon is talking mm, about. Yeah. <laughs> but one of my main concerns is, is this, I, I, I don't have a problem with universalism as such as a teaching, except that unless it does this. And unfortunately it seems like it often does. If it takes away, uh, uh, any of the kind of, uh, urgency, about finding Christ now, and 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 if it takes away any of the warning, I mean, there's the warnings in the New Testament are there for a reason, and they're dire. You know, Jesus does talk about hell and how how terrible it is uh, to be thrown into Gehenna, mm. and and you have these warnings about you know if you forfeit life, the judgment is eternal. There's a, eternal, not in the sense that you're going to endure it forever, but eternal in the sense that you're not going to get a second chance. Mm-hmm. You know that, and I fear. The reason I preach annihilationism, even though I'm not certain it's true, <laughs> uh, I, I'm just more inclined to believe it than I am, you know, either the, the 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 traditional view or universalism. But that 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 warning thing is 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 a part of the gospel that we're to preach, uh, and it's not a matter of trying to scare someone to hell or anything like that. It's just saying the road you're going down leads here, mm. and I would really like you to join this road because this is the road that leads to life. Uh, I'm not saying they'll never be saved or, you know, uh, anything. I'm just saying, you know, it's no different than if you see a person driving recklessly or driving drunk. It's like, I want to really warn you that this is a dangerous, you know, course to be going on. Yeah. Um, and, and with universe, it, it seems like universalism for a lot of people doesn't have to do this, but it kind of takes, it, it, it's a, leads to a sort of a comforting gospel where, that doesn't have any warning dimension to it. Because eventually they're going to get it. <laughs> well, even if they're right, that eventually could be hell. Right. It could be really miserable, terrible. And, and so there ought to be an urgency to preaching about the, the judgment that we experience. Which I think is just natural consequences of our sin. I don't think God's up there angry at you, but there are built-in consequences to the course of life and the character that we develop. And I'd really like to you not have to go through yeah, that. Yeah, it, it comes from a place of love and not a place where you're trying to scare somebody into accepting some kind of salvation or something like that. One of the things that I, I've just got to ask you, this is, I think I asked Sharon this, but I can't remember because that was a while ago that we, we spoke with her. But okay, so here's one of my big questions. As a pastor, I'm sure you get this too. Why, why does it seem like people have so much trouble even questioning at all the traditional view of hell? Like, why is this so white knuckled? Why is it so guarded and protected? Why does it seem like so many people who, who know very little about it, and that's not a slam. It's just that, you know, most people probably haven't actually done the homework 
that's required. It's, you know, they learned something in Sunday school or they heard a, pa- you know, a pastor preach on this or, you know, they, were me- they read it, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God in ninth grade English class or whatever. But you, yeah. you uh, introduce some different ways of looking at it. And I'm curious what kind of responses you get from people. And, and, and I'm curious, why are people so bothered by the fact that, A, we don't know what we're talking about at the end of the day because nobody's come back. And, and, well, one did. Well, yeah, one, <laughs> yeah. one did. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we kind of wish he would have told us a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have nice. been nice. But uh, why is there this, this panicked, frenzied? Okay. Yeah, fearful. That's a fair yeah. question. Well, I think there's several reasons. Um, one is just that uh, the way that a lot of, especially conservative folks, hold their beliefs is sort of like a package deal. Uh, they have the system of all right beliefs, right? And and for them, Christianity and being saved is identified with that package. Yeah. So we have right views of hell and of God and of the rapture and of you know whatever their particular bundle is. Um, and and so there's their sense of being set apart for God, being special, having a life that's worth living, is wrapped up in their package. And if you question any part of that package, it's gonna, it threatens the core of their existence. Yeah. Uh, their, the whole system is called into question. And, and it really is an idolatrous way of holding on to your faith, because I don't think we should ever get life from our beliefs. Uh, we should get life from our relationship with Christ. Mm. Uh, but if you're getting your life and worth and significance and security from the rightness of your beliefs, well, we... we our, when, when that's threatened, too much is at stake, and our amygdala gets activated, and our prefrontal cortex, which does our thinking, shuts down, and and they just get very agitated. Uh, you're, you're calling into question the whole. That system. explains a lot. <laughs> uh, I, I, I I encourage people not to you know to have a concentric circle model of faith, where ultimately there's only one thing that's absolutely important for our life, and that's Christ. Um, knowing knowing what God's like on the basis of the crucified Christ, and knowing what we're worth to God on the basis of the crucified Christ. Uh, that's, I could be wrong about every other belief, but as long as I can be, remain confident enough to base my life on this, I'm going to be okay. Mm. You know, that's my sense of well-being. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and, and then outside that circle come important beliefs. There are like, tr- the foundational creeds of the church, the Trinity, Scripture, um, the creation, salvation, fall, all that. Those are very, very important beliefs, but don't get life from believing them. You know, they're important, but but uh, they shouldn't be contributing to your well-being. Mm. And then outside of that, there's opinions, you know, yeah. options you have. So, um, so it's the way that they hold their faith. I think it makes them. Anytime there's a new thought introduced to something different from what they believe, they will get angry. Sometimes I think. Secondly, it, there's there's there is a dark side to it. Um, there is, as church history shows, I mentioned this earlier. Uh, people can cultivate a kind of heart where they want to see their enemies get their due. Mm. And 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 they develop such a hatred for certain people that they really think they would delight in in seeing them or is knowing that they're tormented for all eternity. Yeah. So it, it can have a, a dark side to it. Um, and maybe a third motive for people is that they're just concerned that if the if you don't up the ante to the ultimate max, um, that that you people won't take you seriously or that you know, they won't come to the gospel. Right. These are folks that are maybe motivated by uh, a move away from strategy rather than a move towards strategy. I agree. Uh, Fear guides them. So they're afraid that if you don't uh, press the ultimate fear button, uh, people maybe won't come to Christ. The thing is is that 
that maybe was true in the Middle Ages. Uh, but it, today, I think the belief is so irrational that no one takes it serious enough to be afraid of it. Or at least the vast majority of non-believers, when they hear that, they just think that's just that's just crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so it doesn't have that effect uh, anymore. Yeah, com- completely agree. So I, one of the things that we've been talking about, and you've kind of already touched on this, is really like our view on on uh, on the idea of hell, especially if we kind of go with the traditional view, uh, the eternal conscious torment view. Uh, doesn't it really have more to say about the way we view God? And, and doesn't it kind of contradict, and, and you've already touched on this, uh, the, this idea of a loving God? Because I think yeah, yeah. one of the examples you gave in, in uh, a sermon I heard you give on this topic, I thought was was really poignant was the uh, example you gave about uh, the, the torture that Hitler inflicted on his victims was more short-lived yeah. than essentially what that version of God would be, right. w- would be doing. Absolutely. You have Hitler on steroids. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think the, the, the view has a number of not negative consequences. Uh, you know, one is that it's, it, I think it actually harms the witness of the gospel because it's so unbelievable. Right. Um, but it also is, is, uh, really jade your your picture of god um a god is capable of doing that i mean what does it mean to say that god's a god of love if if he can do that or even to say that god's all good you know if 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 god's all good it means he always does the best thing uh however you define hell everyone agrees that it's at least worse than (laughs) non-existent right (laughs) so so you have to make the case that it's better for these people to suffer in existence, even though it's wor- it's worse for the people to uh, be in hell than to be in non-existence. But somehow it's better for the overall something or other. And Calvinists will say, "Well, it's for the glory of God." Right. Uh, I've, so heard, that I've heard that one. Yeah. one. The problem we're talking about. It's like if that's God's glory, what would His dark side? Be? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> it's it, it just uh, it, it. Yeah. So uh, it, 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 and it's really hard to have a completely trusting, loving relationship. You know, you, you, all trust is predicated on, on a, a person's character. Mm-hmm. You know, you trust someone to the degree that you are confident that their character is trustworthy uh, and, and that they'll, you know, they have certain attributes. Well, Jesus invites us to trust that, that God looks like, like him. If you see me, you see the Father. Right. And, and he's a God who will do and has done everything metaphysically possible to be in a relationship with us. I mean, that's what the cross is all about. God not only went to the extreme, the infinite extreme of becoming a human, he stooped to become a human, but then he stooped an infinite distance a lot further, if you will, to become our sin and to become our curse. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, that's 2 Corinthians 5, 21 and Galatians 3, 13. And so, so here God, the all-holy God, went to the extreme of experiencing his antithesis. Mm-hmm. The all-holy God becomes our sin. And the perfectly united God, his perfect love, Father, Son, and Spirit, he experiences God's separation. That's the curse. So he experiences antithesis, Man. which means there isn't a, a, a centimeter further God could have gone in all eternity than, than what he did do to re- reconcile us. Um, and, and that's why the cross is the supreme revelation of God. It's, it's, the, it's the maximal, quintessential instance of God stooping out of love uh, for, for another. Wow. Uh, if you understand it on its own terms, it's the greatest love story, not only that ever has been told, but that ever could be told. Because you couldn't tell a, a love story where a beloved sacrificed more for a lover who could have deserved it less. Wow. You know? yeah. it, it, it's, so, so this is the God. And see, the distance he crossed on our behalf is what reveals the infinite intensity and perfection of his love. Um, so 
how does that, and he does it for every single human being, and Jesus prays for their forgiveness with his last breath. How on earth can you reconcile that with a God who keeps people in existence for the sheer purpose of suffering? Uh, if he loves them um, and has the power to stop their suffering, you know, you put your pet dog out, if they're suffering, you know, it makes their existence not worth living. Um, uh, it, it, how could we think God is any less charitable than we are? You know, it's, it's yeah. So, yeah, I, I think you got a major problem there. And, and it, what, what it does is it, it can pollute people's uh, mental understanding of God, their picture of God, which will then compromise their passion for God. Yes. It, 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 the only God we know directly is the God between our ears, the way we conceive of God. Our, our relationship with God is always mediated through our mental imagery, the narrative that we have about God. And so, and, and as we know, even from neuropsychology, all of our emotions are associated with the pictures and the videos and the soundtracks and the memories, all that. You know, we think in terms of, that's how we think. Yeah. Faster than we're consciously aware, but we're always, our brain's always flashing. It replicates our experience of the world in, internally and it evokes emotions in us. So if you think of a sad story right now and think about it concretely, vividly, in motion and all that, it, it, it will move you to tears. Whereas information doesn't do much for us, uh, <laughs> it leaves us cold. But when we incarnate it in a story, it impacts us. Well, we, everyone has a story of God in their head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and for most people, unfortunately, it's kind of pulled together from all these different sources. You know, you got a passage over here in the Old Testament, and you get something over here, a song you heard, and the pastor said this. And this is kind of a montage picture of God. Um, and their emotions towards God will depend on which, which aspect of that montage they have to be looking at. But I always encourage people to have I, let Jesus completely define 100% of your picture of God. Um, and, and, and so to the degree your, your, your final picture of God is beautiful, you'll, you're, you'll be passionate towards mm. it. The picture of God pulls it out of you. Uh, but the beauty of our life will never outrun the beauty of our mental picture of God. Um, wow. And that's what Paul gets at in 2 Corinthians 3 when he says you know, that we with unveiled faces, as we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. It's what we see that determines what we become, yeah. and, and that's true in every area of life, but certainly true in in our uh, uh, relation with God. And so, if you think God is actually capable of torturing people or letting them be tortured for all eternity, uh, when He could have mercifully let them go, or even worse, if He could have somehow saved them all, um, well, then how can that not affect your, your picture of God? There's there's a dark side there. Absolutely. This is a perfect segue into another question that I have. It'd be like this. Okay, I want to say one more thing. <laughs> Go <It's> for it. <laughs> very, very, very memorable analogy here. It may actually suck. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, if I found out, my, you know, my wife has got all these great attributes and she's really good to me. But if I found out that she was, uh, that there's a litter of kittens that had this rare disease and, and, and she's just letting them suffer, uh, let alone suffer for endlessly. That would cool my passion towards her. It's like, you know, <laughs> literally, what the hell? Uh, I, I thought you're so loving, uh, you know, but what about these folks? So, yeah, God's loving to me, but when I look out there and I see you know, folks that are suffering eternally, eternally, when God could have ended that, um, that, that how can that not uh, affect your, your, your understanding of them, your, your relationship with them? Man, that's good. <laughs> the reason I like this, and that was a perfect analogy, even better to segue into the next question. <laughs> All right. Now we're going to talk about kittens. Yeah, we now go. we're going to talk about kittens. The problem of evil for kittens. Why yeah. they have to become cats. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, cats are the devil. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. The, uh, the question I have is, 
some of the the books that have come out, whether it's um, some of the things you've written, some of the things you've preached on. Uh, there was a, a famous pastor from Michigan who, uh, <laughs> who? Wrote, wrote a book. Um, and that, that rings a bell. Yeah, it, it usually does ring Touché. a bell Touché. with people. <laughs> and one of the interesting things about what Rob said in, in Love Wins that I found it very strange that so many people were getting bothered by it, and this is a good segue into what you and I and John are talking about here, is it seemed like he was putting the focus more on uh, heaven is a reality now and hell is a reality now. And it seems like what you're saying is if our view of eternity and our view of what happens in eternity, how God punishes people or restores people or whatever uh, affects how we view God, and if how we view God affects how we then live, then it really has a lot to do with right now. That all of this, all these ideas, all these, you know, ethereal kind of philosophical uh, ideologies that we're talking about really does drive a lot of what's actually going on in our day-to-day life. So if that's the case, um, why why do you think that it's it's so bothersome for people when you say things like, well, yeah, I I do believe in, in hell, but I believe more in the reality of hell now. And do you think that that's something that the Bible and or Jesus teaches? Uh, could you just talk a little bit about that? It's interesting that you asked that question. I, I just this morning was, uh, uh, some people have notified me that William Lane Craig uh, did a critical review of the nine uh, statements of the uh, Renew Manifesto. Yeah. And on the last one, he, he criticizes me for that, that I'm uh, too focused on this world, uh, this life, and that uh, I don't focus adequately on, on the future life. Oh, and, Bill. Uh, <laughs> so I, I was to that. But, you know, I, I, I do in, you know, I, I encourage people, you do find this in Scripture, but to live in a narrative that never ends. Uh, most people live in a narrative that ends with death. And if your narrative ends with death, maybe you got into this with uh, Richard Beck, because this is his big mm. thing. Uh, if your narrative ends with death, then you'll live, you'll tend to live with a scarcity mindset, he, he calls it, where you have to hoard as much as you can now, because this is the one shot you get. And even if you theoretically believe in an afterlife, the actual mental narrative you're living in is that it ends with death. Uh, and I, I, this is why I think people find it so uh, loathsome to, to try to take Jesus seriously when he says, you know, love your enemies and bless those who persecute you and pray for those who despitefully use you. Um, love like the you know the Father does indiscriminately and turn the other cheek, never retaliate. Uh, it's because self-preservation becomes a premium if this is possibly the one shot we've got. Mm. Uh, if you take Jesus' teaching seriously, it really is better to be killed than to kill. Mm. Uh, and and uh, but you can only li- you could, I think you're only motivated to do that and only have the power to do that. If for you, death isn't all that bad, because mm. you know the narrative goes on forever and ever. And so I, I, I do think it's important to live in an uh, endless narrative. Um, that uh, And for believers, that should be one of hope and consolation and motivation. Uh, and it, it empowers us to take seriously the radical, radical call of Jesus. Uh, and for non-believers, that can have a scary side to it, because it's like you're forfeiting that endless narrative. You know, that the years will come to—the way you're living now— your life will come to an end when it could have gone on so beautifully with, uh, you know, dancing with the triune God. Um, but uh, um, the balance of that is this. The only thing that's real is now. And this is kind of what I'm saying in my response to William Lane Craig. Now is the one thing that's real. And while part of the now is my anticipation of the future, this moment is what's important. Yeah. Uh, and, and 
let's take it one moment at a time because life is nothing more than one moment at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's always now and then now and then now. And you can be so future focused that you, you know, rob the now of, of, of significance. In fact, it can be the case in certain, certain theologies, if you hold to sort of an escapist theology, uh, especially like this literal rapture deal, um, that, that not only does it take away from the passion of the now, but it actually detracts from it because you think, well, look at, you know, I'm getting out of here anyways, and this world's going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you don't change furniture on the Titanic, you know, that just <laughs> makes sense. And so uh, why would you care about the environment and why would you care about animals? Uh, even though God gave us those two commands as our first mandate, uh, but it just doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, our, like the church I was first saved in, their whole deal was, you know, the most you can do is is know that you're going to get raptured and grab someone's hand on the way up. You know, so just get people's soul saved so that when Jesus comes back, you get suctioned out of here. And and we've seen songs that celebrated that. Um, wow. Which I look back. Oh, yeah, there's this one that we sang. It was. Don't you, oh, don't you weep for me. When I, now I'm going to try to sing with a chest. Uh, <laughs> to give a, a warning to Do you, it, your, Greg. Your, your Do it. You won't. So it goes, oh, don't you weep for me when I'm gone, because I won't have to stay here for long. Because when I hear that last trumpet sound, my feet won't stay on the ground. I'm going to rise with a shout. I'm going to fly. I'm going to meet with my Lord in the sky. Heaven is near, so I can't stay here. Goodbye, world. Goodbye. No. Wow. Like that. It's like uh, goodbye, world, goodbye. See ya. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it, it, it's this kind of escapist mindset. The thing is, I, I my conviction is that that uh, heaven is not only starts right now, but it it, it will ultimately be here. Uh, it, it's there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, just like we'll have a new body. But there's going to be continuity between our resurrected bodies and our old bodies, and there's going to be continuity between the new earth and the old earth, and um, uh, and God wants us to take care of His real estate now. Mm. I, I think that the, the the first mandates to humanity are still in place, mm. and probably still the best benchmarker for how we're doing as a species. Man. Uh, are we taking care of the earth and the animal kingdom? Are we extending loving lordship over them? Um, and so uh, I, I think paying attention to those things is is very very important. But Scripture does, especially John, the Gospel of John, does talk about how the the future is a continuation of the present. And so those who he says who who reject the light stand in condemnation already, mm. and 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 that those who believe already have eternal life. So <clears throat> I I have <clears throat> excuse me I, I I'm beginning my eternal life now. Uh, now it will have a different stage later on. But but right now is the time for me to be you know growing in that and enjoying that and spreading that and uh, helping people get freed from the condemnation that they're in right now and so yeah we we begin uh, ultimately eternal life is simply a relationship with God and death is simply a lack of a relationship with God because God is the source of all life and so we're right now either moving towards that relationship and cultivating it or we're moving away from it and the first is eternal life and the second is 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 death. This is my life,
Oh, so, man. so one of the topics that I'm I'm really interested right now, mostly because I'm taking a class on it right now, so it's kind of fresh in my brain. But um, and it's one we'll I think we'll definitely do an episode on in the future. Um, and you talk about this a little bit in one of your recent sermons I heard, uh, talking about how the the world is becoming uh, very pluralistic. You know, where you know through the uh, advancement of technology, we're we're coming very close together with all of these tribes and cultures and religions that. Uh, we may have not come in contact with years and years and years ago. Right, right, right. So, so what? It, what if, if any hope is there for other religions to, you know, especially if I have a, a really awesome neighbor who happens to be, you know, Muslim or Jewish or Buddhist? Sure, yeah. yeah. What, what, what are the chances? What are the hopes, if any, that I will see them in in the afterlife? Okay, good question. You know, there's there's uh, three views on these on this. Uh, one is the, the universalism. Uh, that you know, don't worry about. It, they're all going to get in. Uh, the second one is on the other extreme is restrictivism, and these are folks who believe that unless you consciously make a decision to believe in Jesus uh, and live in relation with Him, that there's no hope for you. Uh, now, that view is kind of problematic for a number of reasons. One, even they make exceptions, like little babies automatically go to heaven, <laughs> right, yeah. right, right, right. Uh, or people with disabilities. Which, if you think about eternal consequences, that makes it really uh, an advantage to be born, you know, with mental incapacity or to die when you're a baby, right. you know, and unfortunately there are parents who have come to that conclusion and they kill their kids because why would you risk having a short earthly life, but then spending eternity in hell when you could guarantee that they go to heaven? I mean, it's a sick, it's a sick kind of way. That's of not good. No. It, it, it also runs against the whole idea that love has to be chosen because if, if babies are mentally incapacitated, people get in without a choice. Well, then why can't everyone get in without a choice? You know, so it's, it's, yeah, it's got a lot of problems. It's not even the traditional view. You know, they act like it's just commonsensical, but it's, it's, it's not the traditional view, but, uh, um, and then it, it's almost equivalent to predestination where, uh, cause what you end up believing, what religion you follow, it at least has a lot to do statistically with where you're born and how you're raised and what household you're in. And, you know, what, what kind of psychological profile you're born with, you know, right. your basic personality traits. And, and, and so the vast majority of people would be fated uh, to be either saved or lost based on, on where they're born. And I, I can't see the God revealed in the crucified Christ who, would do every, who has done everything possible to be in relationship with us, uh, who expressed his un, that we, every human being has got unsurpassable worth because he gave his life for them, paid an unsurpassable price for them. I can't see him leveraging eternity on a contingency. You know, on a, on a contingency where you have to be born or whatever. And Paul tells us in, in Acts 17 that he says, from the very beginning, goes back to the story of Adam and Eve. From the very, very beginning, God's been working uh, through the rise and falls of nations to get every person's heart to grow for him and possibly find mm. him, even though he's not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Yeah. So this is a God who's always trying to get people to find him. And how much they're able to find him will depend on, you know, their culture and their upbringing and their religion or whatever. But um, we, we've got to know God's out there doing all he can do to build as much of a relationship as possible. And I've got reason to believe that 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 uh, in, in, in some cases that see, I don't think we're saved by the content of our theology. I really because that is a contingency, it is. you know, yeah. where you're born and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying it's unimportant, but I just don't think God leverages eternity on that. Right. <laughs> it's about the inner disposition of our heart. And and um, uh, and so God's trying to turn the heart towards him as much, whatever that looks like for that person. Mm-hmm. And 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 so you find people, you know, who end up in 
uh, even the Heroes Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11, who weren't even Jewish. Right. You know, you, you, right. you've got Melchizedek in there and uh, Jethro's or, or uh, Moses' father-in-law. And, you know, there, there's, there's folks that you find that are regarded as, as heroic, but they, they didn't know the God of Israel. They certainly didn't know Jesus right. Christ. Uh, and the fact that you have anyone in the Old Testament coming in tells us that <clears throat> the work of Christ encompasses far more people than know about it. And so um, I was, I'll say one final thing about that, and that, that is this. And, and this is called the, the inclusivist view. So you've got the universalist view, all are in. You've got the restrictivist view, only those who make a conscious decision are out, except for those that we make exceptions for. <laughs> and then you've got the, the inclusivist view, which is that um, God's love includes everybody. Uh, not that doesn't mean everyone's going to be saved, but er, everyone has a chance. And, and so I can look at everybody with eyes of hope. In fact, I love what Paul does in 2 Corinthians 5, because there, you know, people are wondering, why is he acting crazy? You could have had a good life. You could have, you know, been a Pharisee and plush existence, but instead you gave it all up, and now you're a missionary, and you go through these hardships and shipwreck and beatings. What are you, crazy? And Paul says, well, if we're crazy, it's for your sake. Uh, but we're convinced that if one died for all, then all have died. Yeah. This is a classic universalist passage. Uh, and so if anyone's in Christ, behold, there's a new creation. We no longer look at anyone from a fleshly point of view, though we once even looked at Christ this way. But now, if anyone's in Christ, behold, there's a new... He's talking about how we look at people. Yeah. Look at... And so the cross didn't just change things for people who would believe. It changed things for everybody. Uh, God's no longer holding anyone's sin against them, Paul says. And that's the message that we're to be proclaiming to the world. Um, that that's, the sin issue has been taken care of. And now God's got a bear hug around everybody. And, and is including all in. Where I disagree with the universalists is that I, even though from God's point of view, all are in Christ, as all were in Adam, um, I think it has to be chosen. And that means we have the capacity to choose against mm. it. What's real is that we're in Christ. But I think sin is choosing to create your alternate reality that will eventually bump up against real reality. Mm. Um, That's good. And, yeah. and uh, rea- reality always wins in the end. Mm. But there's, there, really, if you think about it, what is sin other than a, a story we tell ourselves? that creates an alternate to being submitted to God's lordship. We always are acting as though when you sin, you're acting as though God did not exist as, as though, you know, this didn't matter as though this wasn't harming anybody as whatever other stuff you tell yourself that that's how we, 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 we sin. We, 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 we story our way into it. Um, you know, Eve had to first get the idea of like, you know, I, I could, uh, I, I could see myself eating of that tree and, and going that way. And you're now forgetting and blocking out all that, the times you've walked with God in the cool of the day and he's won your heart and how pleasant your life is, she created an alternate reality. And I think that's what living in sin is. So from God's perspective, I think all are in. Uh, it's just that we can say no to that. And and we ultimately will crash up against the reality of uh, of the loving God and forfeit the right to be enjoying that forever. Yeah, that's good. Wow. So uh, we want to be conscious of your time, but so we, we really only have one question left, and, and I thought this would be the perfect way to kind of tie um, our month kind of together uh, with the two topics, because right. I, I know you have a really crazy story that pertains to this. But so if, let's say we go with the annihilationist uh, perspective, essentially... Welcome to the club. Yeah. So so uh, I, I, I love this theory. I think it's great. Yeah. But what does this do to our view on figures in the, you know, in the Bible like Satan? Because we kind of just stole his house. So can Satan, Satan still exist as a character Whoa. 
Uh, with, I didn't without, know you were going there. Without help. <laughs> Dude, that's, that's good. So what do we do with that? Uh, it, can there still be a Satan? And how does that work without, without hell? I'm not sure I see yeah, the point of your question, actually. I, I, what does believing that, that the final state of, of hopelessly unrepentant people is non-existence, uh, what does that have to do with the reality of Satan? Well, the traditionalist view is that Satan lives in hell and right. and, and and runs the torture show, right? So, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Oh, so, so, so it's like uh, this unemployed. Satan. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. He's just standing on the street corner now, just looking for a place to live. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't know about all that mythology about Satan living in hell, um, <laughs> because it, it seems to me that he's he's in, in one sense alive and well on planet Earth. Uh, that, okay. You know, he, I hear that. The, the New Testament. The New Testament calls him the God of this age, and Jesus three times calls him the Archon of this world. The Archon is a term that was used for the highest ruling authority in any region. So he's the prince, or it's translated ruler of this world. Um, and he's the prince, valiant, power of the air, Ephesians 2 2. Like John goes so far in 1 John 5 19 as to say that he controls the entire world. So, uh, you know, he's in principle defeated. The cross did that. That's what's true. But if you, ha- so long as there are people who are willing to uh, ascribe uh, to his lies, uh, he's got the, the power of illusion, if you will. Yeah. He, 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 so we're in that already not yet stage, right? Uh, where it's, it's already here, but it's not yet fully manifested. And so, um, I, 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 in my view, and I, I, you might have talked about Richard Beck on this. He and I had a debate several months ago at Pepperdine uh, over the reality of Satan <laughs> with N.T. Wright. And and several others, and it was a, it was a great debate. I love that guy. He, he he's a blast. He, is a blast. he was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, several years ago at a conference, and I, I you know I, I, see some people they're fun to disagree with because they don't get all pissed right, off. Absolutely. You know, they, let's talk about it. And he's open. He's like I'm considering it. You know, um, but uh, uh, in my view, there's a there's some things at stake in believing in the reality of Satan. Um, one is, I mean, a, a major part is that that uh, I think it's tremendously helpful as a theodicy, as an explanation for the problem of evil, to hold that there are cosmic agents who have some authority over creation and aspects of society who have used their authority to corrupt it. Uh, I'm not satisfied with any other explanation for what's called natural evil. And then you've got the whole thing about uh, you have to account for all the evil that's there in the evolution of species up to humanity, Um, you know, before humans ever, excuse me, ever fell. And so um, there's that, and then also just the fact that the New Testament construes us as in a war zone uh, where there's a constant tempting force. You know, Jesus goes so far as to say that he says, don't, let, don't let your responses ever be more than a yes and a no. Don't take any oaths. Let your yes be yes and a no be no. Because anything more than that comes from the evil one. Man. So even swearing oaths, is, is, there's a tempting force out there that gets us to swear oaths uh, as, as well. So if, if you take that seriously and incorporate that into part of your narrative, it means that it's never, when you're tempted, it's never just a matter of you, you know, your flesh being tempted. There, there's, there's an enemy out there who's, who's playing in you, you know, and, and, and pulling you in a certain direction. Or when you get into disagreements with people, um, it's really helpful to know that there is an enemy out there who wants to play you and get you to think that flesh and blood is your enemy. So you start hating the person, you start demonizing the person. Uh, whereas if you can both come together as your kingdom people and agree that whatever, whatever else happens here, we will refuse to regard each other as enemy. In fact, we're fighting for each other, and the way we fight for each other is by refusing not to love each other. 
you're either you're either fighting the principalities and powers by loving humans, or you're being played by the principalities and powers by demonizing other humans and allowing them to deceive you into thinking the other person's your enemy. So I I, I don't need another place for Satan to live. <laughs> you know, he, he's here, and uh, um, and I, I yeah, we're not giving any reason to hope for him. Um, but, uh, and, and, or any reason to pray for him or anything like we've got enough to do right here. Mm. Uh, and if that's the case, if he's fully solidified towards evil, then I think it's at, at some point God will mercifully and justly let him, uh, go into non-existence as well. Wow. This is such good juice, man. Yeah. I think I would, I would, I would, I would, t- <laughs> I'm glad you like my juice. I would tend to agree juice. that there is uh, there is no connection between, uh, the, the devil and hell. I think that's, uh, far more informed by Dante's Inferno and, and, uh, the graphic novels of our forefathers, you know, <laughs> and, and Milton paradise. Law yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. It uh, makes, it better to, makes re- for- better to reign in heaven than servant or reign in hell than servant. Heaven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It makes for, for good, uh, you know, passing the time back in the middle ages, you know, yeah, trying yeah. to imagine all that stuff. And, and the horror flicks today. Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. One yeah. of the things that, you know, <laughs> as, as we're closing here, you know, we just mentioned, you know, Sharon Baker mentioned that. We just mentioned that again. It's like a word to the artists. It's like, be really careful about how you depict spiritualities because a lot of times it's what the artists end up doing that has the most sway oh. in the coming generations. Then, you know what? Do you know how many people have been tormented? And I've ministered to a dozen of them, tormented because they believe that suicide was automatic hell. And they just assumed that that was in the Bible. That comes out of Dante's Inferno. Yeah, yeah. he had that as the lowest rung of hell, and and, and that just got into the culture. Yep. And so people just assume that. And uh, man, does that work a number on your head when a loved one commits suicide? Yeah. I mean, it just and it's just so it's so unjust. You know, it's just. Uh, and so I've had to you know, help try to talk people out of that. Well, even like the evacuationist kind of view of like, you know, we're all going to go up to heaven someday. Most of that comes from our hymns and our, in our, in our songs. Mm -hmm. And that's what creeps Uh, in. Comes from the interpretation of one verse in first Thessalonians. Yeah. That, uh, and that was always interpreted metaphorically until this Scottish girl in the early 19th century got a vision and, uh, started preaching it on her barn house. And I, I, out of her barn house, it grew a crowd. And one of them was Darby. We then took it on the circuit and started preaching it and caught on like wildfire. came over here to America, started the Millerite movement, uh, where the Jehovah Witnesses come out of and the Seventh-day Adventists come out of. And, and people actually jumped off of cliffs on a certain date at midnight, believing they'd meet the Lord in the air. They end up meeting him on the ground. But, uh, it, you know, it's it's crazy. They wear rapture robes. Wow. Yeah, so, and then, you know, and, and it's still real popular. Uh, you've got the whole Left Behind sure. series and all that stuff. It's uh. Hopefully, Crazy. hopefully there'll be yeah. a mini mini series on Hulu about all this. Yeah, yeah. Oh wait, <laughs> oh wait, there is. <laughs> there is. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nicholas Cage has to get work somehow these days. So yeah, yeah. Time to show. There's a, a, a series on Hulu. You said. Oh, you gotta watch it. Um, it's it's called no, The Path, and it's uh about yeah. a it's about a fictional cult called Meyerism. Uh-huh. I think you'd really enjoy Loosely it. Loosely based, yeah, on, on that idea. So it's uh, and, and is Nicholas Cage part? No, of it? no, no. Nicholas no, Cage did oh, the remake of. It uh, actually Left has Behind. good actors in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I heard. I, I never saw any of those shows, but I've heard one, one reviewer I read said that 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 one that Nicholas Cage was in. Yeah, 
not just the worst movie of the year or even of the decade, but it's possibly the worst movie ever made. <laughs> I think that's uh, what he was going for. Yeah. Yeah. It, he, he believed in the reality of hell because he just had to watch it. It was hell watching. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, it's always good to talk to you guys. Oh, I, I, I love the spirit that you bring to this, this open-endedness. I think that's why you're getting so popular is that it's refreshing to be able to dialogue about things uh, without people getting their undies up in a bundle and, and you know, just getting crazy on each other. Uh, so you're a nice oasis of, of uh, good conversation in a sea of a lot of unnecessary conversation. Oh, thank you Greg, so much. Greg, we're blushing. Thank you very, very and much. We, we, we just uh, want to thank you again. We yeah. have so much fun. We could talk to you all day, and all we day. just appreciate the wisdom that you bring. It, it, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Thank you so, so well, much. We'll do it again sometime. We all Sounds great. do it again sometime. We'll set it up with Shelly. <laughs> all right. You, you know who we to know who to talk to. to. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thanks so much, right. brother. Bless you you take care. Have a good night. I thoroughly enjoyed that. You always do. I, you know, <laughs> we have the best jobs. Nick thoroughly enjoyed it. Nick, yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, at this point, uh, Nick is literally just sitting there watching us talk because he can't actually hear what the guest is saying. Because we've got the headphones in. So he's like, I, I'm sure this is going really well by the fact that they keep laughing and agreeing. So <laughs> I, uh, it was a little like having somebody watch you shower. <laughs> <laughs> A little less, only slightly less nudity. <laughs> I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I have no idea what the guest is saying, but they seem to really like it, so that's good. Oh, Greg man. is, uh, he's somebody that I hope we can just continue, you know, if there's a topic that he's kind of known to touch on, mm. he's going to be one of the guys, he's going to be a ringer for yeah. us. He's yeah. just a, a guy that he's going to be a friend of the pod, a close personal friend yeah. of the podcast. But he, man, uh, I loved so many things um first and foremost without even going into content here you've got a pastor of a mega church phd from princeton written you know a library of books articles blogs all these kinds of things and at the end of the day he's just a normal guy trying to have a conversation about things that matter because he wants to love people and connect with people and tell people about um this beautiful loving god that he is trying to, in some ways, um, give him a better reputation than the traditional views have given him. And without sacrificing scripture, without, he's just a good guy trying to do a good thing at the end of the day. Yeah. And actually, you know, as, as uh, Dr. Sharon put, even said, she's like, you know, is it really good news if all the news that we are in, in the ways that we're portraying God are, you know, this evil, vicious, sadistic tyrant, you know, and and I think the work that she's doing, I think the work that Greg Boyd's doing, is really digging deep into Scripture. As you said, they're they're really being uh, faithful um, to to Scripture and and pulling out this much more beautiful vision uh, and version of God that really lines up a little better, I would say, with good news. Yeah, I think so too. 
I really do. And the thing that just came out over and over to me again in both of these episodes, and you know, even on a little bit in the Richard Beck episode, is we just need to be really, really careful about our assumptions. Mm. We just need to be really, really careful. We need to be careful when we're talking about these things before we label someone a heretic or label someone a defector of the faith or, you know, somebody's in or not in or saved or not saved or whatever the heck any of that means. You need to be very, very careful because a lot of the things that we're using, the language we're using, um, the frameworks that we're using are things that were handed to us and probably haven't done a whole lot of fact checking. And when you go back into it, you realize not necessarily that you're right or you're wrong. I think that for me, what I've realized is there's just a whole lot more space yes. there. There's just space mm-hmm. to have conversations. Yeah, I think we can, I mean, you can label that space mystery. And I think, I think the, the deeper I go into this journey, um, the more that I'm really becoming comfortable and okay with mystery. And as a, you know, I think as long as you're doing your homework and you're doing your research and you're putting in the work um, and, and, you're, and you're being you know, at least a little open-minded um, I, I think, I think these discussions are are not only good. I think they're healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think um, if if we can do anything, it would be to influence people to get away from just the back and forth. Um, you know, almost as if we're just just shouting back and forth at each other and not listening. You know, mm-hmm. and I think I think um, healthy conversation can come out of this. And um, I just I love what he said. Even when when I asked the question about you know what what about other religions in the world and um, and I, I think, I, I think the way that he kind of answered that was um, beautiful. Yeah, it really was. It was absolutely beautiful. He's like, I don't. You guys just heard it, but it, yeah, it, I mean, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. It really was incredible. And you know, I'll, I'll be honest. Just like on the Sharon Baker episode, there's there's aspects of this annihilation thing that I still have problems with. Sure. I mean, there's it. It's it's not a closed circuit. It's not. There's not certainty. Is not part of part of the deal here. I don't care. That's not, I'm not issuing a critique right now. I'm saying these are difficult realities that we don't have a full explanation on, and we're not going to. And that's why we need to learn, I, I think, learn how to be better friends. You sure. Know, one of the reasons that I love doing this with you, John, is we can disagree, and I know that neither of us are going to take our ball and go home. Right, you know, I'm not going to get all pissed off and offended because <laughs> you, you said this or that, or you you don't see it this way, or you know, whatever. I I know that I can say whatever, and you're going to be like, "Wow, I don't I don't think that at all," <laughs> but it's okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, more and more, the the longer we do this show, I'm hoping that that maybe seeps out into the culture a little bit because I think it's really important. Yeah, and ultimately, at the end of the day, I I don't think uh, a a loving God who has unconditional endless amounts of love to give to us is ever going to see us trying our best to understand the mystery and say, uh, nah, that just wasn't good enough. Nah, you didn't make it. So I'm I think with this, you, man. I'm I think with this you. would be a good time to, to pull We do the agree there. Yes, we, we do yes, agree we do. there. Can we just chill? People think we agree on everything, but that's not true. That's not true at all. Yeah. Man. You guys will never know though. <laughs> I, I think you're an idiot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> So the hashtag that is, can, can we just chill? Can we just chill a little bit? Yeah. Just chill a little yeah. bit. Let's just chill a little bit. Especially around uh, around the holidays here. So Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. You know, go go trick or treat with your kids or don't, you know, go do a harvest party. 
if that's what you're into. <laughs> trunk or treat. <laughs> <laughs> I will be trick or treating with my kids. Absolutely. I will be eating half that candy. So, Absolutely. Because that is the joy of having a toddler who can't eat that much candy. And at the end of the day, guys, have fun. Have good conversations. Keep deconstructing. Who's the musical guest on the show? Ooh, we don't that, know yet, do we? That's a good question. I'm it's not It's a sure. mystery. I just, do know. Just I just like don't hell, have it in front of me. Just like hell is a mystery, <laughs> so is who's the musical guest on the show. But whoever it is, we will have in the show notes. And uh, go check them out. Let them know that we sent you. Um, we really love it when when the bands who are kind enough to let us use their music for free yeah. um, hear, hear back uh, from, from new people, new listeners, and uh, let them know that you know we sent you. Absolutely. And uh, we should have our, our T-shirts up and running by this point on the website. So if you like the, the new logo, uh, Joe Ernst. Yep. Uh, our boy from Nashville, uh, who is a graphic designer, did that amazing logo. And he uh, um, can do any kind of graphic work for you. So check him out. on uh, he's on Instagram. And, uh, and like I said, check out the donations page. That's where the T-shirts are. And we will ship one to you. So with that, I guess that, next week we'll wrap it up, and then we have some really, really cool surprises in November that we can't talk about. We got you guys some Christmas presents. Yes, we do. They're epic. We just, <laughs> we just finished wrapping one right before we recorded this. <laughs> yeah. Really, so literally, funny. Man, this is a great time. Guys, thank you for everybody that's a part of this. If you're listening, if you've donated, if you've told anybody about it, if uh, you're engaged in any way at all, thank you. We love you. We think that this is doing uh, some real good out there to create safe spaces for people. With that, we're your hosts. I'm Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. Keep deconstructing, guys. This is my
mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.